Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osier wrap up their discussion on Article 18 of the Oxford Confession, looking at a New Testament passage in the book of Hebrews. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back. We are into the New Testament episode of uh, talking about free will. It is... It is already been striking to me at just how contemporary and relevant this issue is. And I yeah. know we, we set out to kind of do that, but the, the, the breadth and the depth of the issues that are covered by this confession, mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm left having studied the article with an appreciation for the necessity of having a confession yeah. and having access to one. It, it, it's tremendously freeing. And Adam, you brought up the last episode, the, the comfort that it gives us. But there, there's comfort in just not relying on ourselves to generate this. Right. I mean, who, you know, random person on the street could give us uh, a good, functional, working theological definition of free will? And you have in this article that. Mm-hmm. What are we reading today, Brett? All right, we are in Hebrews 11, and I'm going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 7 for us, Hebrews 11, and I think I'll go ahead and do that now, unless there's any other... No objection to No objection to reading scripture. All right, uh, Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and uh, that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. All right, here ends the reading. Amen. Amen. All right, where do you want to start with this text? Enoch. Let's just get it out of the way. Okay. (laughs) Uh, What do you want to get out of the way? Uh, Enoch, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> I walked into that one. Wow. All right. All right. We're here all week. Uh, tip your waiters and waitresses. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the glaring part right in the middle of the text, huh? It's this guy who didn't die. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Two guys in scripture did not die. Enoch and... Elijah. Elijah. Something to do with the letter E, apparently. Yes. The two witnesses right at the end in Revelation... Enoch and Elijah, they're being saved to be witnesses at the end and the whole, you know, the tribulation. 
When uh, sorry, Kirk, when Kirk Cameron comes, we'll cover comes yes, around. Yeah, yeah, that's the Kirk Cameron version. <laughs> kind of having some flashbacks uh, and uh, to Tim LaHaye. I was, yes, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Actually, one was Moses because they took his yeah, body. He did die, but they took his body. You know, the whole war that they talk about over yeah. Moses's body. Heaven, yeah. So anyway, that's actually where Tim LaHaye goes. I added Enoch just because it seemed right. I, th- I was going to say it I felt th- better. I thought in the Left Behind series, the names of the two prophets were like Mose and Eli or something like that, weren't they? Yeah, I don't. Re- yeah, is that Dwight Schrute's yeah. cousins or something? <laughs> be- yeah, I think wow. you're confusing the office with Revelation with Tim LaHaye. But yeah, so if you're scoring at home right now, yeah, we're right. a full bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we go? Okay, so Enoch is taken up to heaven. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I think this ends up being a perfect place to discuss Enoch because of what we've just been talking about with our inability to generate good works on our own. That. Something like Enoch, who is so favored by God that he did not see death, the Enoch is introduced to us in verse 5 with, by faith. Mm-hmm. You know, not by piety, not by sincerity, not by commitment, not by surrendering all does Enoch get swept up to heaven. Uh, God takes him by faith mm-hmm. because it's God's good pleasure. You know, it, and thinking of this for the first time as, as, as we've opened this passage, I... Uh, the the passage I immediately think of is John, the end of John, where uh, J- Peter's talking with Jesus, you know, and Jesus does the whole feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep thing. And then John look, or Peter looks over to John and says, what about this guy? And, and Jesus is like, so what? You know, you worried about you. It's why was Enoch translated to heaven? God's good pleasure by faith. And mm-hmm. that's what we have. But I, I, every time I've heard Enoch addressed, and uh, usually it's been Bibles, I don't know that I've ever heard a, a sermon on Enoch. Hmm. I'm trying to think about that. Uh, it's not been done well. <laughs> <laughs> don't know if I've heard one, but uh, if I have, it's been yeah. terrible. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear your good Enoch sermon. Well, it's, I don't think Hebrews 11 is a part of the three-year lectionary. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... That'll be something if I end up, when I'm done with my rotation on the three-year lectionary, if I'm going to preach through a book, I would love to preach through Hebrews, yeah. actually. That'd be yeah, a fun book to preach good. on. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it, it was really, it was verse 6 that yep. drew us to this text uh, in talking about free will. Uh, what are the connections we need to make in terms of, you know, handling uh, the Word of God and seeing self, uh, healthy, sound theology as opposed to kind of diseased, uh, unhealthy theology? Yeah, or atheology for that matter. Yeah. Uh, that without faith, is it impossible to please God? And uh, I've, I've always taught this verse by way of Rob Bell, who is no longer important in American Christianity. He's no longer a problem. I don't know anyone that's been actively thinking about Rob Bell for about five, six years yeah. now, but he was one of uh, generic American Christianity's flavors of the month. He had those for videos for a while. Yeah. Well, that's how he rose to see Numa was the name yeah, of the village. Right. And, and I actually yep. watched through those in uh, a college economics class at the Christian college I graduated from, for whatever reason. Wow. The, uh, the prof really loved Numa. And, and, you know, Rob Bell was an engaging, hipster-looking guy, good communicator, uh, as often false teachers are. And then he wrote this book, oh, was it released when we were in seminary? <clears throat> right around that time. Yeah, the, I think it was. The when late we were in aughts. seminary. Love, love wins. Love wins. Yep. Uh, and that just kind of rocked Christianity for its wrongness. 
And, and the premise of it, if you've ever read it, um, <clears throat> look at that. We got, nope, didn't work. All right. Uh, we tried to use our mute button on our microphone for the first time. I got a frog in my throat. Sorry. <laughs> was, I was all ready to be super impressed with myself for managing the board and, and talking at the same time. Yeah, it didn't work at all. I failed miserably. Yes. Way to go, DJ. <clears throat> but Goodham. anyway, yeah, DJ Gooden. Waka, waka, waka. All right. <laughs> anyway. The, the introduction, the, the premise for Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, is that at his church, which I think was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the time the megachurch he was pastoring, uh, had an art exhibit. And, and one of the, the exhibits featured a tribute to Gandhi. And, and someone, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, someone uh, wrote, after all the plaudits to Gandhi, wrote on the art exhibit, yes, but he's still in hell. And, and so that led Rob Bell to go on a rant. Really? Gandhi's in hell? Gandhi, a man who did so many good things, is hell? Can we say definitively that Gandhi's in hell? And just goes over and over and over again in this introduction to his book. And, and there's a couple lessons you take from that, you know, looking at this as an example from a confessional perspective is one, don't be a jerk. You know, maybe don't write things about Gandhi's eternal soul on a placard at an art exhibit, one, but two, it's just because people do good things doesn't mean they're good works. And and that's where the connection is. Mm -hmm. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And for all the good that Gandhi did, uh, and we can certainly say that Gandhi was used uh, by God in a left-hand kingdom, first article of the creed sort of way to deliver many impoverished people out of extreme poverty to probably a little bit less poverty. Um, if Gandhi on at the time of his death was not professing faith in Jesus Christ, he is not in eternity with Jesus right now. He's not in heaven. And it's because your good works don't save you. It's you, you don't impress God apart from faith, but with faith, Everything you do impresses God because he sees Jesus instead of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that great exchange. Yep, uh, it's the great exchange. Yep. It's the double imputation. Right, Christ right. takes our sins, we get Christ's righteousness. The way it's been described by another pastor that I really appreciate is really to understand the father-son relationship. If you walked up to your boss, uh, we're all pastors, so last time you had a, 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 a normal job, a nine-to-fiver, uh, as it were, Uh, and you handed your boss a crayon drawing that you had spent all afternoon in your cubicle on, (laughs) your boss would look at you like either you're insane or fire you for wasting all this time. If your three-year-old hands you a crayon drawing that they spent all afternoon working on, uh, it's one of the most precious things you have. I I still have in my possession the first drawing my oldest son made for me, Hmm. you know? And it's, it's a finger painting that looks like like abstract art, but I love it. And and that's the way it works for yeah. us as children of God, Right, is that we have this relationship where everything we do, God sees through the eyes of a loving father. And it pleases him because we are his children and we are his children because of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we can start to obey the the Lord by faith, you know, the the weak works that we present that are coming from our life, uh, they're flowing from faith and, and not uh, not from us 
trying to work our way up to, into, into pleasing God. Yeah, they're, they're not done for our credit, and they're not done to pay God back. And they are still incomplete. They yeah, are still right. tainted by the sin of our mortal lives, right? But they are pleasing to God because we are his children. And, and, and that is such a hard concept for a Christian to grasp because we always want the good things we do to be good for our credit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So you know, I'm looking at these, this verse here again, and um, you know, there's a little bit of hide and seek, you know, talk about, you know, fathers Literally and kids. With Enoch. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no. It, <laughs> Sorry. It, not going to let it die. No. <laughs> Nor him. <laughs> Nor him. Right. No, but I'm, I'm seeing here, there's a drawing and seeking drawing near yep. to God and God seeking or us seeking. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about the, the, the tension, the tension. You're here, looking yeah. at the tension of how, how mm-hmm. do we not have any free will to pursue the things of God or to please him mm-hmm. specifically uh, in, in that. And then how do we seek him? And I think there's good answers to that. And one is, I think God wants to be sought. And as we understand that reality that God wants to be sought he has given us opportunity and he's given us reason to quote unquote seek him right and what we have to stop and back up and understand right away is that in that that's god's action <laughs> this isn't something we're doing but that it's god doing it it's not me you know oh, all of a sudden oh, i really should there there's got to be something more out there no the reason i'm saying something's more out there is because god himself has revealed it to be so and there's there's argument of that in romans when it's talking about natural revelation anybody who looks at the human body and the nature of how we are designed and says there isn't a god i, I don't get him i don't understand it i cannot wrap my mind around that argument or to look at the the complexity of nature down to atomic uh, structures and astronomical uh, revelation of how vast this universe is and to say there's there's nothing there it's crazy it's crazy talk but all of that is is a invitation <laughs> to be sought god wants to be sought and he is the one who is the genesis of our seeking. We have to remember that. That's part of it that we have to remember at the beginning is that our seeking does not equate a free will to pursue him. It's a recognition of what he's already designed and orchestrated. And I think that's the point uh, to what you're saying, Adam, is when when we talk about seeking in, in America today, in contemporary American Christianity, from a confessional perspective or from a generic American Christian perspective, we're all talking about different things using the same terminology. To define the terms yeah, first. We, we, yeah. We've got to make sure we're, we're playing the same game before we start trying to keep score, right? And the, the issue is when the generic American wing of the church is talking about seeking, they are talking about pursuing a hidden God who will only be found by those who are the most earnest in their efforts to find him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a problem. It is. Because one, you, you said God wants to be sought after, right? That, that's the whole point. In fact, the very nature of his name speaks that to us. It's I will be who I will be, or I am who I am. That what God teaches us by giving us his name is that he exists. He's there to be found. And then, you know, 
you, you kind of went right into apologetics there, Adam, talking about the nature of the universe. Mm-hmm. The nature of the universe is God's first layer of evidence that he exists. In fact, I've been actually reading through uh, one of my favorite uh, apologeticians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, what's the apologizer? Uh, Apologizers. Apolo- apologists. Yeah, apolo- yeah, there we go. Apologists. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. That was way less complicated than it needed to be. What did you say? Apologetician? Apologetician. (laughs) (laughs) My brain's done. It's the end of the day, man. Just give me a break. Uh, uh, Stephen Meyer. Oh, right. Um, And uh, I'm on the second book of his trilogy. The first is Signature in the Cell. Now I'm reading a book called Darwin's Doubt. And I'm I'm building up to the book he released last year called uh, Return to the God Hypothesis. And the signature in the cell has been foundational for me as a teacher of apologetics because uh, what it does is it, it teaches that God has left evidence for his existence in creation. The, the information stored in DNA speaks to a creator, that, that there's an intelligent mind behind life itself. The, the structure of creation and the ordered systems of, of the plants and animals and, and and even weather systems speak to a designer. Uh, what's the number? It's like 37 or 39 finely tuned traits of the universe. Yeah, I, interestingly, just was at a uh, conference where Hugh Ross presented, and Hugh Ross is uh, another apologist. Uh, he, he was talking about how that number has grown from, initially it was like 17, and then it increased, and it's exploded in these last couple of years to over 200. Oh, is it now? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's a huge number now. And he was just, yeah, that whole talk that he gave us about that. It's, it's amazing when we think about that number. But you were saying. So what Hebrews is describing, what the author of Hebrews, and I'm going to do my best. We've got just five or six minutes left in the episode. So far, I've, not, I've successfully not called him Paul, which I always do for whatever reason. <laughs> the, the writer of Hebrews, whom we don't know this person's identity, uh, when they describe that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The finding God is not the outcome of faith. The seeking after God flows from faith. It's wanting to pursue God for his godness because you already believe in God. It's not an outcome to a journey. It's the starting point of a journey, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And in the church, we have these seeker-sensitive things, these, these people who are kind of presented to us as groping about in the dark, hoping they find God. And, and, and as I mentioned before, the tragedy of that is the conception of God in the American church is a God who has hidden himself and does not want to be found. Mm-hmm. Where in fact, in scripture, we have a God who not only wants to be found, has made himself available to be found, has in fact entered human history to be seen and touched in her heard, and in fact, draws by his spirit those whom he would have seek him. Mm-hmm. And, and all of that is what is coloring this. It's not a matter of free will. It's not a matter of self-actualization. It's a matter of the goodness and grace of God. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, exactly, that's Paul's argument in Romans. And when he says, there, um, Going back to Romans, I got to look this up here. Romans 1, and I'm going to start with verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
clearly perceived, not hidden somewhere, right? It's been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they, meaning everyone, are without excuse. There's no reason a person ought not to be seeking God because he's not he's not hiding himself. It's it's blatant and obvious. And the result is they didn't do that because of, like we talked about last week, their wicked hearts. They knew God, but they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but pursued their own passions. And God gave them over to those things. But you're absolutely right. We have to be clear that God is not some God that really is like, uh, it, uh, you know, I, I see kind of an interest in you, but uh, I really want you to prove it to me. That's not God. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, I'm here. I'm, I'm seek me. Here I am. This is what I've done for you. And I'm going to reveal myself to you in my word through the person of my son who has paid for your sin in its entirety at the cross. Yeah, he's not some sort of Sherpa or guru sitting on top of a mountain in the Himalayas waiting for someone worthy to approach him. Uh, and then speak in enigmas that and, yeah, are... And yeah. riddles. It's the, the whole point of what God has done for us is precisely because we are not worthy, but he desires to be with us. And so he has made a way for everyone to be with him, not the most sincere, not the most committed, but everyone. The gospel is available for everyone. And I think where that leaves us is just to stand in wonder at the twofold definition of faith we have in these seven verses. I was going to say, I wish we had Nathan Olson here to... Yeah, we'll have to bring him on sometime and talk about this. This is his area of expertise. But the, the passage starts with, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. And then at the end, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seeks him. Faith is not presented in its worldly conception as winful or wishful thinking or, or this con- concept of blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith because faith always has an object. A faith in something. Faith in something. And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So the hope for is, is the things that we have been promised, but it has not yet been realized. The, the hope of our redemption, the hope of our salvation, we have that. It's the already but not yet. And that's our hope. It, the faith is the trust that God's going to be faithful in his promises and, and of the things not seen. This is not that, well, you, your faith does it for you and this guy's faith over here as a, as a Buddhist does it for him and, and this lady over here with the Baha'i faith, that does it for her. That's not what faith is. It, it, it's faith is a concrete matter of reality that is given to us by a God who wants to be found, who wants to be believed in, who, who wants to receive us. The, the nature of God's character is to have mercy and to forgive. It's not to, to reject and to push away. He does that to bring us to repentance. He does not do that because he's cruel and capricious. Hmm. And when we have that faith, we please him. Is that fair to say? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. With the faith, it is. We do please him just like, and that illustration you you, you said before was so poignant, so so important, I think, for us to understand of that as father, right? That he is completely pleased because Jesus is completely worthy. When I talk to my students about the opportunity to, you know, please God, do things to please him, right? We think, well, is it going to be, am I going to, am I, am I going to please him enough? And the answer is, if you can be better than Jesus was, absolutely. 
But unless that's the case, no. But that's exactly how he sees you. That's all he sees. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that in faith we do please him, that it's not our free will to seek, or not our free will to pursue, not our our uh, ability to, to really prove to him we mean business, but that he reveals himself, grants us confidence in what he has finished for us. And it's in that that we rest and we find hope. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a... Maybe that's a good place to wrap it up, this uh, four-episode arc. Any closing comments on free will or lack thereof? <laughs> well, I think, I think the place that we want to leave people yeah. at with this is if, if you are falling in the trap of thinking you have something to offer, that you have something to give, or that what, what you have in Christ is lacking because of who you are, this is what this article is addressing, that, that you have a free will to operate in the world that God has created for you to be in, but that your salvation comes from God alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week when Pastor Brett, Pastor Jason, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on the Augsburg Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.